Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Well, a few years ago, while I was still at Aldersgate, I was asked to do this graveside service for a woman I, I didn't know. Actually, no one knew her. This is kind of a thing that happens. Uh, churches within the vicinity of a local cemetery will, will get a call every once in a while to ask if the pastor is available to preside over a graveside service there for someone who has absolutely no church connection or, or maybe someone who who is being buried um, out of state and, and has no church connection in the area. So this woman's husband had, had written on some form at some point in time for Mount Comfort Cemetery that at some point his wife was Methodist. I think I later found out that, that she had only ever gone to a Methodist church when she was like nine months old to be baptized. But, but for this reason, Aldersgate got the call. And I was the only clergy person who was in town that weekend. So I said yes. And so as I was as leading up to the service, I, I called her husband, who never called me back. But that's okay. I, I was able to finally chat briefly with the funeral home director, who shared a bit of, about her with me. Um, she, she was in her 70s and had this particularly painful and long-wasting disease. I learned that that this pain had become so great that one night she stepped out of her bed, put on her slippers and, and her dressing gown, let herself into the backyard and opened the back gate and walked, walked into her neighborhood's man-made lake. And she just stayed underwater until the pain was gone, until she was gone. And I was, I was in shock. I, I had presided over a few other gravesides for people I didn't know before, but this one, this one felt different. Like I felt like I was, was going to be this like uninvited guest. Like, like this was too raw, too painful, too much. The space was too much for, for someone who didn't know her to even observe, much less lead it. or be asked to offer some kind of word in the midst of it. But they needed a pastor, and so I went. <clears throat> and at, at the service, surrounded by a few, like eight people, 
I managed to muster up some words to say in the moment. I talked about the things that we know and the things that we don't know. I said that we don't know. We can never fully know what anguish was going on in her mind, in her heart. But we do know how deeply she was loved and how much she will be missed. I said we didn't know what that kind of pain feels like in your body, what kind of despair that that brings. But we do know that her life, her life was beautiful, right? And, And that those who knew her loved her and would always cherish what she meant, what she meant to, to, to them, always cherish her memory. After the service, her husband, <clears throat> he walks up to me and he thanks me for coming and for leading the service, which I, I usually expect after something like this. And I thank him for sharing such a raw and holy space with me, allowing me to be here with him. But then he said something I was not prepared for. He looked straight at me and he said, what you said, what you said was wrong. It was completely wrong. You said, I don't know what was going through her head when she got out of bed and walked down to that lake. You said, I don't know. I don't know. That's not true. I do know. I know exactly what she was thinking. She was thinking that, that she no longer feared death. As much as she feared living with this kind of pain or or me watching her live with it. He was stern and unblinking, but he wasn't really angry. He he was more weary. You know that kind of weariness? I I didn't know what to say. So I just I just I just said nothing. I just allowed that to that to sit in the space between us, those words. And I tried to digest, digest it in a way that would ensure that I would never forget it. She was thinking that she no longer feared death as much as she feared living with that kind of pain. Can you imagine? As these words came to mind again this week for me, I couldn't help but notice something in them that that I hadn't really ever thought about before. To say that she no longer feared death was to say that at some point she had. At some point she did fear death. Of course she did, right? Of course we do. Of course she did when she was diagnosed with this disease that that would lead her to it. And, and forced to come to grips with her mortality. And while it often takes a moment, like a, like a diagnosis or, or, or this close to the bone, close to the heart kind of death, to bring us generally blissful, distracted, naive, in denial people face to face with our mortality, it, it's not just those whose bodies are failing who fear death, right? We all do. Of course we do. Death is is the, the most taboo conversation in our culture. Because in the midst of, of the very real lives we are living right now, death feels like this stripping away of everything that matters. It's it, the loss of, of breath, 
of body, of relationships, of, of consciousness, of memory, of, of identity, of capacity, of love, of fulfillment, of purpose, of future, of, of hope. Death has this way of, of, of posing the most disturbing question of all. Is life, is this energy and activity and awareness and thought that I'm living, is life, is all of this the most real thing that there is? Or is there something deep down beneath it all or, or above it all or beyond it all that is truer and more permanent and more eternal than than life. And, it, and if you sit there with that, this question will haunt you. It will get in your head if you ponder it too long, which, which makes me wonder if the real reason people keep, keep busy and keep moving and, and keep chugging along in life is to avoid ever really thinking about something like this, to avoid ever coming face to face with our mortality. In 2017, a team of behavioral researchers analyzed about 100 relevant articles published between like 1960s and, and, and 2017 containing information from across the world related to people's feelings about death. And what they found was absolutely astounding. They discovered that that lower anxiety about death was only weakly linked to religious belief. In, in fact, the paper, which was eventually published in this scholarly journal called Religion, Brain, and Behavior, this paper showed that with the exception of people who believed and practiced like super extreme fundamentalists and, and apocalyptic versions of faith, Non-believers, atheists, atheists actually appeared to fear death less than those of us who are normally or nominally Christian believers. Can you believe that? Like this definitely complicates the old view that religious people, those who have been given this promise of abundant and joyful afterlife, the promise of heaven, of eternity, it, it it complicates this view that we don't have to fear death, that we don't we don't fear death. And, and maybe maybe atheism provides some some kind of comfort from death because it doesn't spend any time the, theologizing about it like we do. Maybe that's it, or or maybe people people who just aren't afraid of death aren't compelled to, to seek out religion for answers or meaning making about it. But whatever it is, whatever it is, it, it can't be unseen, it can't be untold. That more than half of the 100 studies surveyed showed no link at all between anxiety over death and religious belief and practice. And, and over 20% of the studies found that religious people were actually more afraid of death than non-religious people. This definitely complicates things and leaves us with, with so many questions, but it, but it does. It does help us make sense of why 
nine out of 49 of your questions submitted for this Ask Me Anything series have been about death or what happens thereafter. Nine of them. It does, it does make sense in light of our question today. This study makes sense in light of the question you've asked, which one of you beautiful people posted on our Kingstown Common Connection group and many others like doubled down on this question. Yes, good question. If our Christian faith tells us that heaven is so wonderful, so glorious, then why in the world do we fear death so much? Another one of you asked if, if, <coughs> if we'll be reunited with, with loved ones in, in, in the afterlife. Will, will, will we see our loved ones? Will we be re reunited with our, our grandmother and grandfather and our mom in heaven? One of you even tagging on this extra question about and how will remarriage affect that? Another one of you asked, are we, are we destined to heaven or doomed to hell at the moment of our death? Is, is that it? Or is, is there room for, for regret and forgiveness and, and second chances after death? Is deciding before we die to choose God, to follow God, to live, to live a life that leads to life is deciding that before we die a condition to getting into heaven. These questions and, and our main question today is, is, if heaven is so wonderful and so glorious, why are we afraid of death? These questions really, they're not really about heaven itself. They, there were other questions posed that, that take us in that direction, a whole different direction about what we believe, what we actually believe heaven and hell are, and what we believe about these places and what they'll be like. And, and we'll save that for a whole other day. I, and I've done actually many sermons on that before. We've never done this one. Today's questions are less about what heaven is like and more questions about how we process and make sense of and talk about this impending reality of death and where God is in it all. Even a question about whether we will be reunited with our loved ones, it's, it's seated not in our desire to know all the mysteries and splendors of heaven, but in our anxiety about death and our longing for death to not be something so overcast with fear and dread. It's seated in our fear of death, arising out of that ominous question that leads to our distraction and our denial. Is this it? Or is there something deep down, beneath it all, above it all, beyond it all, that is truer and more permanent and more eternal than life now? And it's this question that's at the heart of our, our Christian faith and which brings us to our scripture today. Did you hear it as Betty Lynn read it for us? It's a, it's a short one. It might be one you've heard before. And it's this strange thing tucked away in a relatively obscure book in an un, unfindable section of the Old Testament, Testament lies this 
answer to the question at the heart of our fear. Here in in Song of Solomon, sometimes called Song of Songs, this love poem that always surprises us every time we read from it because of its metaphors for and, and flowery language and descriptions of female genitalia and, and romance, novel kind of sensuality. Here in Song of Solomon, we find the most, the most important line in all of scripture, the answer to our questions, the balm for our anxiety, in these five words that sum up Christianity. Love is strong as death. Or as, as another version reads, love is stronger than death. When all things are said and done, and death has done everything that it can do, there's still love. Fragile, maybe. Battered, certainly. But abiding, nonetheless. It is is in these words that we know that life is more than nothing. That there is more than this. And notice notice how just before these words, we read these. Maybe you've heard these words before. Just before this line, we read, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. The central moment in in the Christian faith was when, when a man, more or less, had those words tattooed on his arm and went to die in such a way that, that his arm, arm was exposed to the world. And what his death proclaims is that, is what we affirm today, that however bleak death can be, however isolated and sad and and forsaken and neglected, a death can feel in our bones and in our bodies and in our hearts. However much a a, a death like that can seem to, to obliterate life and relationship and hope and everything, that at the end of time, love is stronger than that. Love is stronger than death. It's just, it's just five words. Love is stronger than death. Set me as a seal upon your heart, O Lord Jesus. For your love is stronger than death. Your passion for us is fiercer than the grave. Paul puts it another way. Paul puts it this way. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from this love, this fierceness of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the love that is stronger than death. And I learned something that day. I learned, standing with this man in this cemetery, (coughs) 
the cemetery that ironically is now in my backyard. I learned something that moment when, when he called me out, the nice man called me out and says, those words I long to never forget that he said. She feared death less than she feared life, chronically living in this pain. I learned that, that there, are, there are no words I can speak, no words I can speak that can make death better that can make it more palatable for those of us knee-deep in it. Instead, my role is to stand beside the dying and the bystanders of death as they face the hardest things they will ever face in their life and not try to make the excruciating easier by, by some grand, you know, magic trick with my words to direct their attention to the the undebated good, like I did that day in that cemetery. Instead, my job is, in lieu of the false hope that distracts and denies and is offered in every card and commercial and sentiment of death in our culture, my job instead, like this man at Mount Comfort Cemetery, is to offer truth, to offer truth about death. To be the one who helps people name and face the truth of death. Because if we, if we stay with the truth and we walk through it, then we can come out on the other side and find that we're still alive. And if they do that, if you do that, you'll be, you'll be on the other side of whatever hell that you're experiencing in that moment. And you'll realize that that hell can't hurt you because you know how how deep that love of of song of solomon is that is stronger than death and i've also learned i've also learned that there's something there's something way scarier than death itself and that's refusing to acknowledge it at all friends fear can drive people to act as if illness and aging are optional. Death is, is ultimate failure. But whether of the healthcare system or, or of, of the ways we take care of our bodies or, or of our own personal faith, fear of death has led people to, to support authoritarian regimes even. Fixing their hope on, on the presumed corporate immortality of a Third Reich or a Red Star. A fear of death has led to the, to the unsettling reality that Christians are more than three times as likely as other patients to opt out of extreme life-saving measures, including vaccines, in order to give God every opportunity to grant them a miracle. What's scarier than death itself, friends, is not dealing with death at all. Pushing it further and further and further toward the later chapters or the sicker chapters of our lives. Instead, as people united in that Christian affirmation that the love of Christ is stronger than death, there is only one way to confront our fear, to deal with death, death itself. There's only one way, and that is learning 
to live as dying creatures. When we, when we honestly name the, the wounds and the withered branches and the ways in which we are undone, we vaccinate ourselves against the overpowering fear of death. We give, we give death its space. Let its wounds breathe without fabricating explanations about how it makes sense or, or works for the best. And we speak that truth we know in Jesus, that there is something greater, something truer, something stronger that runs after us with a passion fiercer than the grave. And that's the love of God. And the love of God that is the answer to our deepest fears and the answer to every question therein. Will we be re reunited with loved ones when we die? Will we? Friends, I, I don't know how it will work. <laughs> I don't know who will be there or how remarriage will play out. But what I know is that God's love, God's passion for you will be so real, so self-evident that whatever wholeness and completeness and fullness you are craving in the, in the being reunited with those you miss, you will, will, I promise, be realized in the utter perfection of what you will know and feel and experience in the love of God. And is death, is death the, the moment of decision? Is death the deciding point for whether a human will, will know the glory of heaven or the judgment of hell? Did, did you know that there is not a single scripture that affirms this? Where, where do we get this from? We gather around at our memorials and we say things like, well, at least well, at least we know he's in heaven now. Or, thank God, thank God she asked Jesus into her life right before she died. There is no scripture that says that the decision to choose God is bound by death. But there are countless, countless scriptures that speak the very opposite. If Christ's love is stronger than death, then God can and will reach into the depths of hell and rescue people from their own life of torment and disobedience until the end, until the end, until the end of eternity. What a God. What a love. What a fierce grace that runs after you, even to the grave. I offer this to you. In the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.